Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today is Annie Batt, Personal Finance Writer to Investors Chronicle, and Joe Bauenfreund, Chief Executive Officer of Asset Value Investors and Manager of Funds, including Avi Global Trust, which recently changed its name from British Empire Trust. Joe, you invest Avi Global Trust in companies of which the share prices are at a discount to their estimated underlying value, an approach generally known as value investing. But how can you know if the companies really are at a discount to their estimated underlying asset value? Well, you're right that um, we try to buy companies trading at discounts to what we perceive to be their net asset value. And it is a style of value investing. But uh, it's different to what is traditionally perceived to be value investing. So traditionally, a lot of value investors will buy companies that have low P multiples, low price to book ratios, and high dividend yields. We are looking at companies that own assets, that own other businesses, stakes in other businesses, companies like family-controlled holding companies and other investment trusts. And there, we can analyze their portfolios, the companies that they own, and we can estimate and understand what their realizable value is. And that's what gives rise to the discount. So for example, we have a family-controlled holding company in Switzerland called Pargeza. Pargeza owns a portfolio of blue-chip European listed equities. So the market value of those companies is there for everybody to see on the market every day. And therefore, we can be confident that we are buying it on, um, on a discount. And in fact, today, the discount is almost 37%. Okay. Now, have you ever got it wrong? Yes, of course. We're human. We do make mistakes. But hopefully, the winners are more frequent than the mistakes. In the last um, couple of years, we've had one mistake with an investment we made in a Canadian company called Hudson's Bay. Hudson's Bay is a retailing business that owns, amongst other brands, the Saks Fifth Avenue brand. And it also owns the real estate of of much of its retail portfolio. And we saw and, and believed that the real estate value was greater than the market cap of the company. What we failed to really uh, appreciate was the very sharp and structural challenges facing the retail industry generally and its, and its retail business, which affected the valuation of the company and also the valuation of its real estate. So that was a company that didn't generate a good return for us. We, we sold it at a loss. Subsequent to that um, time, there's been a management bid to, to privatize that company. But the level at which management are now seeking to buy the company is well below the level at which we sold out of. Okay. And I mean, what would be an example of a company which is trading at a discount to its value and turned out to be a successful investment? Well, one of the most successful investments we've made in, the, in recent years has been the Norwegian family-controlled holding company called Acker. And Acker owns a stake in a Norwegian oil exploration company called Acker BP, and it also has some other assets uh, within it. We made this our largest holding within what was then British Empire Trust um, in early 2016, when the oil price was uh, very low, oil company stocks were out of favour, and consequently the discount at which we were buying into the holding company at was around 45%. uh, And we were buying shares at around about 150 kroner a share and have been selling earlier this year shares uh, in the company at around 650 kroner a share. Obviously, uh, this doesn't happen overnight. So how long are you prepared to wait for an investment to come good? And what would make you decide to give up on it? 
Well, the time horizon is an important assessment of every investment that we make. And depending on the type of company we're talking about, our time horizon can be different. So for example, if we're investing in a family-controlled holding company where the family are in control by definition and we have an alignment of interest with them, but we can't force them to do things they don't want to do, our time horizon can be very long. Um, It can be 10 years or even longer. And therefore, provided the value of the businesses that they own are going up, we can live with a wide discount and we can be patient about that. When we take a stake in another investment trust, um, often we will be one of the largest shareholders, if not the largest shareholder on the register there. And we would have an explicit um, aim to try and use that stake to effect change, to effect structural change. And therefore, the time horizon which we would hope over which we would hope to do that is much shorter, and it could be something like three years. Now, you also often take what could be described as an activist approach of your holdings. I mean, how do you get involved with them and, and what does it actually achieve? Well, in closed end funds, for example, um, as I said a few moments ago, we like to be a large shareholder and that gets us a seat at the table. When we talk about um, activism, we're not talking about aggressive bullying of, of companies. We buy into companies where we like the assets and we think the assets are going to go up in value. But at the same time, if they're trading on a wide discount, we would like the board and the manager to take steps to narrow that discount. So our form of um, activism is to constructively engage with boards to make suggestions about things that they can do to improve the rating of their shares. And in very rare instances where we don't get anywhere with that that softly, softly approach, we can be more aggressive and have in the past called EGMs at companies and forced trusts to liquidate their assets. Okay. Now, um, value-style investing in general um, hasn't done as well as growth-style investing over the past decade or so. I mean, why do you believe it's an investment approach still worth pursuing? Well, you're right. I do believe it is still worth pursuing because it makes so much sense to me. It's so logical to think that in our case, we are buying companies that have a realisable value so much in excess of the current share price. And what we see in the market today is just uh, a lot of our universe of of potential investments simply overlooked and neglected by other investors. So at the moment, um, investor interest is into growth stocks, into US technology stocks, into Chinese stocks. We've seen the effects of MIFID II deplete um, the level of research available, particularly on small companies. And so across our whole universe, we're seeing inefficiencies arise. And they arise simply because at the present time, investor interest is elsewhere. But I believe that at some stage, valuation becomes relevant. And at that point, investors will take a look at what they do own, recognize perhaps that it's richly valued or overvalued, and look for cheaper opportunities in the stock market. And I believe our portfolio would fall very much into that category. Okay. And and do you think value investing could do better than growth style investing in the future? Well, I think it has done over the long term. You're absolutely right that over the last decade, value investing has been a very difficult place to be. But I believe that, you know, in time, we'll see a reversion to the mean. 
OK, now AVI Global Trusts returns um, lag broad global indices uh, such as FTSE World and your investment trust peer group average of one in five years. Is this because of value style investing and are you doing anything in particular to improve relative returns? Well, you're right. Um, over the period that you state, um, it lags the broader global indices. Um, over three years, I think we're roughly in line um, with the with the world index. Um our style of investing is not to look at benchmarks or indices. It's to focus on our universe of companies to try and find situations where we can add value and to patiently build a concentrated portfolio and wait for that value to be unlocked. To that end, we're not doing anything different. Uh, as I said a moment ago, our universe and our portfolio is extremely cheap and out of favour, and I believe it, the performance will come back in time. Okay. Now, you do have a say a benchmark of reference index that is MSCI All Country World X US Index, um, and uh, you've beaten that over three and five years. But you actually have eighteen percent of your assets in North America. So is it fair to compare yourself to an index that excludes the US? It's a fair question. The thing to recognise is that um, our style of investing is entirely benchmark agnostic, and most of the companies we do invest in don't appear in any broad benchmark. And therefore, it's a, it's a challenge for the board to find an appropriate benchmark to measure us against. Historically, we've had very little in the US. And therefore, the board felt that comparing our performance to a world ex-US index at least offered a geographical representation of the universe that we were looking to invest in. You're, again, right that in the last 18 to 24 months, the level of look-through investment that we have in the US has crept up. And, you know, I think the board constantly evaluate whether the benchmark is appropriate. For now, we're sticking with the World X US index, but at some point that may change. Okay. Now, um, AVI Global Trust um, is also on a discount to NAV of around 10%. How does this compare to the trust's own discount history? And are you doing anything to try and bring it in? Mm. Well, when I took over um, as manager of the trust in September 2015, the discount at the time was closer to 15%. Um, So it's come in from, from that level. We would like the discount to be narrower and have been buying back shares fairly consistently over the last four years. And uh, on top of that, we're making a lot of effort to meet as many investors as possible and to get our story out there to try and encourage buying into the stock. But yes, we would like the discount to be somewhat narrower than where it is today. Okay. Now, you've got gearing, uh, which is debt, of about 11%. Is this a usual level for AVI Global Trust? And um, what are you using it for? Well, we put in place um, much of this debt about two years ago when there was an opportunity for us to borrow very long-term debt in the order of 20 years at what we thought was very low cost, somewhere in the, in the region of around 2.5%. So uh, over the next 20 years, we are confident we can achieve better returns than 2.5% a year, and therefore it seems appropriate to have some modest gearing in the trust. And gearing around about 10% is fairly common um, for many of our peers, and it's a level we are, we are very comfortable with. 
Okay. Um, and um, what areas uh, and sectors are presenting particularly good opportunities at the moment? Well, this year, the biggest shift uh, that we've uh, seen in the portfolio has been the increasing exposure to Japan. And to me, Japan stands out as presenting one of the most compelling opportunities uh, that we see around the world. Uh, Japan um, is a market that has long suffered from a discounted valuation relative to its developed peers. And there have been uh, structural reasons for that. But what we've seen in Japan over the last couple of years is a big shift towards improving corporate governance uh, and increased instances of shareholder activism. And all of that, I think, will ultimately lead to a re-rating of Japanese shares. So we've increased the rating in Japan from 20% at the start of the year to around 27% today. Okay, and what particular type of opportunities um, is Japan throwing up? Well, we have um, almost 20% um, of the portfolio invested in a basket of Japanese small cap operating businesses. These are operating businesses that um, have got growing profits, that have performed strongly over the last 10 years, and that have accumulated huge amounts of cash on their balance sheet. And this surplus cash can amount to almost 100% of the market cap in some cases. And this is one of the structural inefficiencies that exists in Japan and is the target of the third arrow of what's known as abenomics, which is tr seeking to improve returns on equity and shareholder returns by getting companies to focus on inefficient balance sheets. And um, this is the area where, where we're able to find companies trading at really remarkably low valuations. And as companies start to do better things with their balance sheets, start using cash to buy back shares, start using cash to pay out higher dividends, then I believe what we're going to see is the whole reason for that discount existing evaporate. And that should trigger a, a re-rating of Japanese shares. Okay, and what would be uh, an example of one of these um, Japanese holdings? We own a company uh, called uh, SK Kaken, which is a... Um, an Osaka-based paints manufacturer. It's a really high-quality uh, product offering that it has. It has substantial market share, well over 50%. And it has accumulated almost 70% of its market cap in, in cash over the last 10 years. And the combination of having a very conservative uh, attitude um, about managing this cash and wanting to accumulate it for a rainy day, in combination with a 11% payout ratio has just meant that this problem has been exacerbated. But in terms of earnings, um, it's a highly attractive business. It's growing. And um, we're able to buy into it at a multiple of around three times EBIT, which I think is, is remarkable. Okay. Um, how have the um, Japan holdings performed so far? And um, what do you expect from them returns-wise going forward? Well, they've done well. Uh, over the two years that we've been invested in this in this basket of small cap companies returns have been around about 15% which have been well in excess of what the topics the topics i think in that time has generated 2 or 3% returns so it, it's made a very positive contribution to uh, our returns and it's also outperformed the local benchmark you see value in japan but a lot of other investors at the moment take the view that UK equities offer good value for reasons including uh, that Brexit 
risk is priced in and, and perhaps a good rally if things turn out better than expected. Avi Global at the moment, though, only has about 1% of its assets in the UK at the end of June. Why? Well, very simply, we see better opportunities elsewhere. Um, the kind of companies that we are looking to invest in are not that common in the UK. So we don't have family controlled holding companies. We don't have cash rich special situations as we do in Japan. And it's not so much that we've taken a, a top down view on the UK. It's more about the bottom up opportunities that we see stack up better elsewhere. Okay. Now, um, most of your investments are other collectives like funds or family owned companies uh, rather than direct investments com- in companies. Why, why do you prefer to invest this way rather than, say, directly putting your money into a, a listed share? Because we buy them at a discount, in short. So right now, uh, the discount on the companies that we own in in uh, AVI Global Trust is around 33%. That means we're buying those direct companies you refer to 33% cheaper than we would have to pay um, if we bought them directly. And that discount moves over time. Right now, it's at the very, a very wider end of its historic range. And as discounts narrow, um, I think you get uh, the double whammy of strong performance and closing discounts, which means we would do better than owning those shares directly. Okay. Now, are there any disadvantages to investing in in funds and family companies? Um... Well, one of the reasons why many other investors don't like investing in these companies is that uh, when you buy into a collective structure, such such as the ones that we focus on, you're buying a diversified portfolio which means that sometimes you may have to take on a company that you find less attractive than another company. So that that deters um, some investors. These situations also tend to be less liquid than more direct companies. And in the case of family-controlled holding companies, many investors don't like the fact that these are controlled by families and they can't have as much influence as they, they perhaps would like. But these are all things that we're well aware of and we think that the discount more than compensates for And we can still find very attractive opportunities, notwithstanding uh, those potential um, hazards that deter others. Okay. Is it more expensive um, than investing directly in shares? Well, when you buy a fund, for example, uh, there is the fee that that the manager takes. So in that sense, it can be more expensive. However, um, that is, again, part of the calculation we make when we look at whether the discount that the investment trust is trading at, for example, is appropriate or whether it compensates for that fee. So when we're buying them on a wide discount, our argument would be that that more than compensates for the for the level of fee. Okay, thank you, Joe. Really useful update on Avi Global Trust, an interesting insight into value style investing. Many investors take the view that uncertainty over Brexit means that the UK is a no-go area. But Zayani, you've recently spoken to a manager who argues that even if there's a hard Brexit, a lot of new opportunities will arise. Why does he think this? So I spoke to James Henderson, who is one of the co-managers of the Henderson Opportunities Trust, um, and he says he's not worried about hard Brexit because he's finding lots of new opportunities in the UK, um, particularly on stocks quoted on AIM, uh, which is the part of the London Stock Exchange. The alternative investment market, yes. Yeah. Um, and he says that in these stocks he finds a lot of um, new ge- next generation opportunities which are good to buy when markets are down. Okay, so what would be an example of one of these opportunities? 
So, for example, he looks at opportunities in the UK healthcare. This is because no matter what happens in the UK or in Brexit, people are going to fall ill. Demand for drugs is going to be high. So, for example, one of the companies that the trust has invested in is 4D Pharma, um, which looks at the human gut and finding bacteria for therapeutic uses over there. Okay. I mean, this all sounds very promising, but is Henderson Opportunities Trust suitable for everybody to invest in? No, it's quite high risk because it's invested in smaller high risk companies. So Mr. Henderson says that investors need to be patient. It's a long term investment and they need to give the companies chance to grow. Does James Henderson do anything to try to mitigate the risks of uh, these uh, smaller companies? Yeah, um, so he's developed a multi-cap approach. Um, so he's able to diversify across the market's um, cap spectrum. This helps to reduce volatility, look for opportunities across the spectrum. OK, a y thank you, Zayani. And see her full interview of James Henderson in this week's magazine and on the website. That brings us to the end of today's show. But also see Investors Chronicle or the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk for more on value investing, global investment trusts and UK equity opportunities. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.